today on Ag News Daily. That's optimistic, but at the same time, you're hearing acreage numbers come out from a bunch of different places that is estimating corn acres up at least to, if not four to five million acres. And if that's the case, that more than offsets. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, how was your weekend? It was wonderful. We spent it really just celebrating um, my friends. A lot of them graduated on Saturday and we're all kind of heading our separate ways. So we had one last hurrah this weekend and it was it was really fun. Um, I haven't gone that hard, I feel like, in a long time, but we were really committed to, to having, you know, one last weekend of fun. I mean, it rained on Saturday pretty hard here in Lubbock, and we waited outside of the bar to get in, and I had, like, a little um, corduroy jacket on, and I had to, like, hold it above my hair so I wasn't getting super rained on. One of, of my course. friends found some cardboard box and put it <laughs> over her head, so we, we were really committed, but I'm glad we did get some rain, but I tell you what, Lubbock, when it rains, it is just absolutely horrible. I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but we don't have like a central drainage system in Lubbock. And so everything just floods. And I mean, we're pretty flat here anyways. So it's it's just not a good time. Interesting. I did not realize that. We also got some rain here, but this weekend, Saturday, we at least had some nice weather. I did an outside workout class and then I came home. And I was super tired and I fell asleep outside reading my book and got a nice little sunburn on my forehead, which is fine because I could use a little color, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, not nothing too exciting on my end otherwise. Well, Delaney, uh, what are some news stories that you're watching today? I don't really think that there's too much going on, but what about you? Yeah, I've seen a few things going on right now that I want to make folks aware of. And I know you've got a few stories that connect nicely to uh, some of the stories I've got. So I'll kick things off. You're talking about lumber. And I know you've got a follow up to this story as well. But we've seen lumber rallies now cool off a little bit as they've now fallen. Prices have now fallen for the sixth straight day. Six consecutive day, I should say. We didn't trade over the weekend, of course, but we actually were limit down today. I believe expanded limits, not only here today on this Monday afternoon, uh, but we've seen lumber shoot up more than 350% since last May. Now we've started to slowly come back down. Just 21% prices have seen fallen. So compared to the 350% that we've seen over the past year, not really a lot of cooling to be done, but it does appear that we have cooled off a little bit. National, I know you had a piece of news that you thought might be an indication of why lumber prices might be cooling off a little bit here. Yeah, I don't know particularly that this is a big reason or anything like that, but definitely could be a possibility as U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai is preparing to meet her Canadian and Mexican counterparts today. I don't know if they have met at the time we're recording this. I don't believe anything has been out as we're you know sitting down and talking, Delaney, but they were set to review progress in the new North American Trade Agreement. And she's been put under pressure from home builders and lawmakers to cut U.S. tariffs on Canadian lumber. Of course, shortages of softwood lumber amid soaring U.S. housing demand and mill production curtailed by the COVID-19 pandemic have caused prices to triple in the past year. 
And I am not looking for homes or anything right now, but I know a couple of my friends and family are, and just hearing them talk about how expensive it is. And one of my grandma is trying to build right now. And I just can't imagine, you know, what she's going through price-wise trying to do that. But Republican lawmakers have taken up the builder's case, asking Ty during hearings in Congress last week to eliminate the 9% tariff on Canadian softwood lumber imports. Senator John Thune told Ty that high lumber costs were, quote, having a tremendous impact on the ground in his home state of South Dakota and putting homes out of reach for some working families. The Trump administration initially imposed 20 percent duties in 2018 after the collapse of talks on a new quota arrangement, but reduced the level in December of 2020. On Friday, White House economic advisor Celia Roos said the Biden administration was weighing concerns about commodity shortages and inflation as it reviews their trade policy. The tariffs are allowed under the USMCA on trade, which permits duties to combat price dumping and unfair subsidies. And so I, I'm not sure exactly if we're going to see, you know, the relief of this tariff, but Ty did say that she would bring up the lumber issue with Canadian Trade Minister at the first meeting of the USMCA Free Trade Council, a minister-level body that oversees the trade deal. So definitely going to be something that I'm watching because I suspect that if they do eliminate this 9% tariff on softwood imports, that it would you know have some kind of positive effect in the lumber markets, at least here in the U.S. Yeah, I would think that that would give us a little relief and uh, potentially see some more supplies flood the markets, which should theoretically push down prices. So we'll continue to watch that story and see how things develop. But we're going to talk about this a little bit more with Ted Seifert here coming up on our market segment. So I won't talk about this too much. But China has released some statements Uh, over the weekend into today that they may be looking to import fewer soybeans in years to come as hog breeders may likely continue to slash soybean meal use to try and save costs as they rebuild their hog herd. Muyen Foods Co. uh, chairman said that China's pork industry is currently facing really high feed costs mixed with falling pork prices and that's been cutting into producer margins. They said that Obviously, they need to continue to build their herd this year, but in years coming, they may not import as much of the product. However, on the corn side of things, we see China's appetite for for corn continuing into today when they scooped up another 1.7 million metric tons of corn. And this has been the third largest purchase of U.S. corn that China has ever made. And as Ted will mention here in just a little bit, they're getting close to their TRQ a quota, so we may not see them purchasing much corn uh, here onwards. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit more though coming up. Absolutely, we sure will, Delaney. But another thing that we've been talking about here lately is Biden's infrastructure plan. A lot of people, of course, have been criticizing that plan, saying that it's too broad. He needs to be a little bit more specific on what he wants to do. And kind of in response to that, Biden did have a meeting about this. Senator Republican leaders and President Biden say that their meeting on infrastructure this past week was positive and will lead to another meeting this week. 
The senators have been asked to come back with a counterproposal to Biden's infrastructure bill, which many, of course, have been criticizing. So hopefully we can see some changes there. I'm not too sure, you know, what they're going to be looking at a little bit more specifically, just because there were so many things a part of that plan. I feel like it is going to be hard to narrow down what we need to tackle first, what should be dealt with rather than, you know, another topic or or issue. But reports say that Biden asked them to return with a different counteroffer than their first one and that he is optimistic that they can reach a deal. So it does sound like Biden is being a little bit flexible and definitely trying to work with these senior Republican leaders, but going to wait and see, you know, what their report does say. Of course, it's only Monday. I don't have any news on when their meeting is supposed to take place this week, but hopefully we do have a follow-up at least by Friday. All right. Fantastic. Well, I think, uh, let's see, the only other piece of news I have here, Ashton, is a little bit of weather news, and that is South American weather news. Precipitation has appeared to return to parts of Brazil, even reaching into parts of the southern region or should reach parts of the southern region here by Wednesday and spread into the center south areas throughout this coming weekend. This is an area that definitely needs some rain. The question is going to be, of course, is this rain going to be in time enough to save the Safrina corn crop? And that's a wait and see game, of course. But we will continue to watch it and see how this develops. But it sounds like from basically May 24th to May 30th, precipitation should intensify in these states, Sao Paulo, Mato Grosso, De Sol, and uh, Paraná. And so they could see some pretty timely rains, hopefully... I know we've probably got Brazilian listeners, so sorry, but I'm kind of hoping that it's not enough rain to really fix the problem down there because I want to continue to see this market rally. And it sounds like we're going to need to see tight supplies uh, to continue to have some sort of rally here in the corn market. But again, I won't steal too much of Ted's thunder. I was about to say, Delaney, I'm excited to, you know, let the listeners hear what you and Ted talked about in regards to the corn markets and, you know, what's going to be going on with soybeans this year. So why don't we jump into the market so we can head into that conversation? Let's do it. Well, we saw corn futures have a little bit of green today as the July corn contract added eight and three quarter cents to end at six fifty two and a half. The D's down five and a half cents to close at five thirty seven and a quarter. In soybeans today, the July contract up a penny and a quarter to close at fifteen eighty seven and a half. The November down three and three quarters to end the day out at thirteen ninety seven. Wheat lower today as the July Chicago contract down seven and a half cents to close at six ninety nine and three quarters. The September down seven cents to close just under $7 as well. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, we had some mixed trade across the screen as the June live cattle contract up a nickel to end at 115.35, the August down 40 cents to end at 118.42 and a half. Feeder cattle mostly higher today with the August contract up $1.60 to end at 152.75, the September up $1.55 to close the day out at 154.22 and a half. Looking across the board here in the lean hog markets, further on down the road, August and beyond, we saw some green, but the front month contracts here, June and July, finished lower, with June ending out the day at 108.65, down 7.5 cents, July down a nickel to close at 108.95. 
And wrapping up our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. Weakness today as the June contract shed 42 cents to end at 18.94. The July down a quarter to end at 19.39. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Ted Seifred. Well, for today's hashtag Market Monday, chatting with Ted Seifert of the Zayner Group. Ted, thanks for being on the show today. It's been a little while since we've talked to you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Dwayne. Ted, there's a lot to talk about, as usual, as there have been uh, really all this this entire year. It's pretty exciting stuff, but... Today, we saw finally at least old crop corn futures seem to have a little more life sparked into them today after last week's uh, pretty massive sell-off. What's your outlook here? What what had things perked up today? Yeah, so July corn perked up a little bit because, one, we had a, you know, like you said, massive sell-off. I mean, we went from 740 down to you know 630 and then had a bit of a bounce from there. Um, but also, you know, we've got the river moving again. And that was part of the bearishness late last week, uh, concerned that we weren't going to get corn to um, our exporters and therefore basis was dropping and so on and so forth. But uh, that kind of cleared itself up. Still kind of reeling from last week's WASDE report, though, uh, especially that new crop number coming in much bigger than expected, uh, new crop carryover number coming in much bigger than expected. It doesn't put so much pressure on carrying as much old crop into new crop beginning stocks as what we had before, right? So <clears throat> that allows that July corn to kind of simmer down in price a little bit. I think your end users are a little bit less nervous about coming in and, and owning corn as aggressively as they have been. Uh, but China doesn't seem to be less concerned because China – continues to buy massive amounts of corn on a pretty much weekly basis. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's uh, that's optimistic for, for new crop. And, you know, you, you're going to go back to that USDA report and say, well, you know, the USDA has export demand down 325 million bushels next year compared to this year. But we're trying to buy like they are. Is that realistic? If the USDA had a, another chance to do those numbers again today, would they – increase them. And I don't know, you know, I, I, maybe they would, uh, I, I would certainly not argue with that if somebody wants to say that. So, uh, that's optimistic, but at the same time, you're hearing acreage numbers come out from a bunch of different places that is estimating corn acres up at least two, if not four to 5 million acres. And if that's the case, that more than offsets some extra export demand. Uh, and we could be Delaney by the time we get to that, that planted acreage number, we could start talking about a 1.6, 1.7, maybe even a 1.8 billion bushel carryover. And if that is the case, well, hmm, it's kind of hard to justify $6 plus corn in December. So, you know, Martin kind of had, had to sort of correct. And we saw the funds really move away from a lot of their long positions uh, since even before that report. And, you know, now that we have kind of flushed things out, I think we're in a better position to go into a growing season and see what happens as far as weather is concerned. I'm not saying that we can't go set new highs in corn. Uh, I think at some point we will bounce back up towards those highs because we almost always find something about the weather that we don't like and we get concerned about. But unless we have a real weather problem 
um, you know, similar to last year, or, you know, I mean, you look out West and it is really very dry. And if that, if that continues throughout the entirety of the growing season, that is obviously going to be a big problem, you know, but if that clears up, um, you know, again, I, I don't know, corn needs weather to help us get to new highs and probably a little help from the soybeans. Uh, I, I think the soybean balance sheet for both old crop and new crop is just as bullish as it's ever been. And I expect the soybeans to have, um, well, they will have my attention throughout the growing season. And I think we're going to see some fireworks here. Ted, I want to get back to that, but I want to follow up on something you mentioned earlier on. That was China. They've been continuing to step in here and buy corn. Do we have any indication, though, of how much they're going to stockpile? Have they, have they put anything out there about how much demand we can expect from them? A USDA numbers aside. No. <clears throat> no. And, and, you know, it, uh, the USDA doesn't do country by country exports on the global balance sheet either. So we don't know exactly what the USDA is expecting. Um, you know, last year, the big, the big thing is, you know, are they going to go above and beyond the TRQ, which they, they absolutely did. Uh, so the expectation is probably that they're going to do that again. And if you calculate all the sales that they've made in the last, or all the, the purchases that they've made in the last, you know, 10 days or so, they're pretty much at their, their, uh, their tariff quota already. So they're going to go over that. Um, I would think it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood between 15 and 18 million metric tons from all places. That's including Ukraine, which should be good for about 3 million metric tons. So it could be about 15 from us, which means, you know, to this point, they're just shy of what, 7 million metric tons. So they're about halfway there. Hopefully, I, hopefully I'm understating, you know, maybe, maybe they want 20 or 25 million metric tons from us. And if that's the case, we really do have a bull scenario, but we're going to have to keep compiling these, sa- these sales. And they are coming fast and furious. You know, at some point here real soon, if we see another one or two or three of these, we really will start to get excited about that because, you know, it's, it's above and beyond uh, what we thought they were going to do. So right now, it is within the lines of, of what we were expecting from new crop demand. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. Ted, let's talk soybeans there because I cut you off a little bit, but it sounds like you're pretty bullish soybeans. Yeah, you know, I have been. Um, the soybean market, in my opinion, is the one that has a lot of upside potential and always really has been. We kind of forgot about that a little bit since the beginning of the, of the, of the calendar year. And part of that is because we were really focused on that second season sophronic corn crop being under a lot of pressure, a lot of, a lot of stress. Um, and, and that was causing bullish thoughts about corn and, oh boy, you know, uh, our ending stocks for this year and maybe the next year could be really very tight and so on and so forth. Um, we kind of lost sight of the fact that, you know, this year's soybean carryover is razor thin tight and next year could be even worse. But, you know, when we started putting together our estimates for the report that we saw last week, and then when we saw the report last week, we got a really sharp reminder of, Hey, um, we're lowering demand year over year and with a trend line yield and with an increase of acreage. And we're still at, what, 140 million bushel carryover. So uh, what happens if that demand isn't lower? Um, what happens if we don't hit trend line yield? What happens if we actually lose acres because corn gained so aggressively on soybeans since the beginning of the calendar year? Uh, yeah, you know, and I really don't think, I don't think we're going to lose acres compared to planning intentions for soybeans, but I really don't think we've gained any. If we gained any acres, uh, which we probably did. We probably gained acres, but most of those, the vast majority of them are going to be the corn. And, and maybe soybean, soybeans got a half million to a million acres. But that's not enough cushion to, uh, to say, hey, 
if we have any sort of weather problem this year or anything short of trend line yield, we're going to be in a very tight scenario. So the soybeans should be the ones that are the most sensitive to weather uh, because, again, it needs to be pretty perfect. Now, there is an asterisk there, as there always is this time of year, and that's based on demand. If we have a reason to think that demand is being destroyed somehow um, in a big way, like it would have to be you know, massive problems with ASF in China and maybe other places in the world, uh, or let's say China invades Taiwan and we stop doing business with them. Something like that would really change the outlook. But unless something like that happens, we have to be so nervous about whether we're going to grow enough soybeans to meet demand and have a positive balance sheet for next year. So soybeans are still in price rationing mode, even though corn really isn't after the report we saw last week. Um, and until we see acreage, unless there's a big increase in acreage that we're not seeing, the story for soybeans is still pretty exciting. Ted, quick follow-up for you there. You mentioned uh, China and Taiwan. That's obviously an ongoing issue at the moment. Is that anything to cause concern for us? I mean, I, look, I, I've been saying for a while that China has aspirations to expand their territory. I don't want to say conquer the world. I, I think for now, <laughs> they're just very interested in the South China Sea and Taiwan, and they're going to make moves on these places. Uh, I think it's fairly clear at least to me, that they're going to do that. They're building their Navy so that they can contend with us. Um, they're building ships at an astro- astronomical rate. Uh, they will have a, a, at least from a numbers perspective, they will have a stronger Navy than us by the end of the year. Um, yeah, it, it, it seems very clear to me that the writing is on the wall, that they are going to expand their territory. And when they do, we're not going to like them very much. So for the, for the time being, it feels to me like they're stockpiling, which for American agriculture, we'll feel really good until they're done with that. And when they are ready to make their move, who knows when that will be. But when they're ready to make their move, things could get really ugly, right? Because, you know, if, if we say, we're not going to want to go to war with China, but we're going to say, hey, trade war, completely back on. We're not doing business with you until you stop your aggression. They won't because they've already built their stockpiles and they've prepared for this sort of thing. Um, and things can get really nasty for a few years. I mean, that's my fear, right? But in the meantime, they're buying aggressively, like we have seen, you know, for the last uh, couple of weeks or the last year and a half. I mean, really, they've, they've been buying very aggressively. And, and for right now, that's a very good thing. Yeah, it certainly is. And hopefully it doesn't get back to, you know, trade-level tensions like we had a few years ago. Uh, but I suppose that's always always the risk there. Ted, Ashton is trying to beef up her market game. So she's been trying to ask a few questions here and there on Market Monday. So I know she's got a couple questions here for you too. Yeah, Ted, I've been paying attention to what's going on in the cattle market. There's been a bit of a disconnect and people are concerned about that between cattle prices and beef prices. So can you just walk us through kind of what's going on there in the cattle supply chain and how it's really affecting the cattle market right now? Yeah, so beef prices are really very good. Um, domestic demand is very solid. People seem to be uh, adjusting to or absorbing inflation very well. They're not balking at higher prices. They are spending the spending money on all the things. So you know, demand is not a problem. Um, the issue is getting packers to pay more money. And, and they're not doing that right now. And they say it's because they don't have the capacity because workers will not come to work 
because of COVID and because of the issues that they had, you know, COVID had run rampant through uh, Packers facilities, you know, back in, uh, let's say, a year ago. Um, but then with all the student money and everything like that, you know, it's hard to get low-income workers or, or uh, fill those low-income jobs when they're paid more to stay home. So, you know, they're saying lack of workers is why they can't up their production, meet the demand that we see that is out there, uh, and really pay up and, and cause more demand for, for the actual animals. So that's been the problem. Now, I will contend that we have a situation where they have really, really strong profit margins. They can make it more enticing for workers to come in and fill that demand, but they haven't really done that. Uh, I, they say they've tried, and I, I think they have made some token um, offers to try to get more workers in. But for any real degree, they've not been able to do that. They have the profit margins to pay more money. I, I think they're just using an excuse to keep their profit margins as strong as they have been. So really, again, they're, they're more, the pro, their profit margins are fantastic. They want to keep it that way. They don't want to cook their golden juice. Ted, I'm going to ask you here. Let's turn our attention to the lean hog market. They've had some pullbacks here over the past couple of days. Uh, you know, today was kind of a, a, a rough day for the hog market in the sense that, you know, we started out strong and we came down and kind of broke through that low again, which did not look good. We ended up bouncing back up just slightly, you know, so we were up 55 in the August hogs. So it's still holding on to this key support right here. Uh, but it's not doing it in a very convincing manner. Tomorrow's going to be a big day. We need to bounce from here in order to keep this bull trend intact. Um, again, it hasn't been so convincing yet. I'm still bullish hogs. I think fundamentally there's reason to be bullish, uh, especially with corn prices coming down the way they have. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I've been kind of targeting 112 to 114 for that August uh, hog contract. And so we'll see. But we, we need to hold here and, and have a nice little bounce. All right. Well, Ted, before we let you go, if folks have questions, want to chat with you a little bit more about markets, how can they do so? Yeah, you can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. You can find us on the web at www.zaner.com. You can read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our Ag Hedge newsletter. And if you're on Twitter, uh, look me up. I'm at the Ted Spread. I like to talk about whether hot dogs or sandwiches and also uh, (laughs) sometimes markets. (laughs) <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for talking markets, Chad. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks again there to Ted for coming on and chatting markets with us today. I'm trying to do my best to keep on top of these markets and formulate some questions. So hopefully I'll have even better ones to talk about next week. Absolutely. You're doing a good job and you're learning. And that's the most important part, Ashton. It certainly is. I'm really glad to be learning. And folks, I definitely hope that you're learning something right along with me. Or, you know, maybe you're shouting at me behind the phone to ask some better questions or something. But if you want to tune in to my learning experiences from here on out, you can do so at agnewsdaily.com and follow along with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agnewsdaily as well. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.